I'm Coach Tony Miller, and you're listening to a Quick Timeout Podcast. We have conversations with basketball coaches from around the country focused on specific topics designed simply to help grow the game. Welcome into a Quick Timeout Podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're like me, you've gone looking for some new shooting drills to use with your team here at the start of the season. I've created a library of some small group and then also some team shooting drills at drdishbasketball.com. Included in those drills are diagrams, explanation, and also some videos of the drills. To find out more about those, simply visit drdishbasketball.com and click on blog from the drop-down menu. Again, that's drdishbasketball.com. Joining us today is Jack Castleberry, associate head coach for the Citadel Bulldogs. Coach, really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let me start with this because I think it'll kind of set up the rest of the conversation. But for someone who hasn't watched you all play, how would you describe your team's style of play? Extremely up-tempo, analytically driven, guard in the half court, not a not a full-court pressing team or anything like that, trying to be just solid on the defensive end and trying to get quick threes on the other end. I saw this tagline. I have no idea, you know, social media. I don't know who runs your social media, but the embrace the pace. Yeah. Um, as we all know, everybody says that they want to play fast, yeah. a team that actually plays fast or with pace, because that can mean two different things to coaches and to teams. But how do you actually get your team to play with pace that you want them to play with? I think it's a daily conversation about, hey, this is how we play. This is how we play. This is what we do. Because uh, players who say they want to play fast inevitably mm-hmm. slow down. Uh, at a certain point when they get tired and our whole deal is, hey, we're going to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, pushing the tempo. A lot of our drills we do are full-court drills, uh, trying to get guys used to moving. Uh, we want our bigs to kind of start the break, but we also don't want them necessarily trying to run the whole break because that tends to slow things down. We've had those conversations. But it's really about wings running the floor, bigs running, and point guards pushing the tempo and trying to find guys to make good decisions in a quick, uh, in a quick environment. Are you running to spots on the floor to get yourself aligned to flow right into something, or are you just running? No, not specifically. I mean, in a perfect world, you got a guy on both wings, but obviously that doesn't really happen that way. As long as you're just running and we can get a quick outlet, we're obviously trying to get the ball above the free throw line of the outlet so that the guy's got fewer dribbles, got to get it to, to get across half court and everything. Um, but it's, it's not overly complex. It's really just a matter of doing pretty basic things at a high tempo. Are you hunting particular types of, of shots or is it just anything that you can get with good pace? The one that we would love to get is a drive and kick three, which I think is kind of like what everybody's trying to get these days. But we'll also take transition threes, particularly below the break in the three-point line. Uh, those tend to be pretty high percentage shots for us. And of course, trying to get layups and, and get to the free throw line. Uh, the free throw line has been a struggle for us this year, but uh, you know, so far we've done a pretty good job of sharing the basketball and been able to shoot it pretty well, fairly consistently, and just obviously hope that sticks. So let me ask a couple of those because what you just said went quickly over. But I, I you know, let me start with the first one. I, I think the one that maybe if people were watching the other night, I didn't realize this. Like I, I knew that the pace with which you played, but leading the country over the last six years and made three point attempts. You know, it's one thing to lead in attempted three-point attempts, but actually to make the three-point attempts. What is the primary reason for that? Is it the types of kids that you're recruiting? 
Is it the outcome maybe of the style of play that you have? Is it the player development? And it may be all three of those things, but what do you feel like is, is maybe the thing that leads that? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of those things. I definitely think you're recruiting shooters first and foremost. And secondly, you're giving them the freedom to take those shots. And we don't always shoot it at the highest clip, but we know that if we shoot enough of them, that the numbers are going to play out to a certain percentage, right? And so you're only going to get to that percentage if you're able to shoot that many shots. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to our time at VMI, we it all this Coach B was kind of ahead of his time as far as the way that we played. And now it's pretty common for people to shoot it like this, but he's been doing this for, I guess, what, 17 years now. And uh, there was a professor that we had at VMI who was a math professor, and he loved the analytic approach to everything. And so we would sit there and we'd be struggling to shoot. And, you know, even the, the even though we were playing fast and, and bought in, there's still party that's going like, hey, maybe let's not take this shot, you know, and his whole thing was keep shooting them, keep shooting them, keep shooting them. The numbers are going to play out the way they're supposed to play out. Now, that does mean obviously that you have to try to get shots that are open shots. So there is still some strategy behind it. It's not just firing it up with, you know, one contested three after the other. We do take some of those. But, again, it's something that we feel like you have to live with. You're going to encourage shot making at a high level. I could be wrong with this, but just from watching even the other night, it seemed like you just talked about, like, the contested threes. And I get this idea that sometimes coaches think you're just running down the floor and jacking up a three. But it seemed like you create those advantages for for guys to get more open looks. And then that gets them comfortable to then shooting the contested threes. And those go in as well. I think there could be some, something to be said for that. I think a lot of times the contested shots that our guys end up taking are still spot up contests where they're 10 toes facing the rim, where it's not like an inside foot, not like a guy's coming off a pin down and then just throwing something up where he's off balance. So I think the fact that they're more often than not square to the rim to begin with and getting the pass hopefully inside out, even if that contest ends up being a good contest, they're usually in rhythm. So that's been successful for us. So beyond the in the rhythm, what are you judging as being great shots? And we still base it off of a, uh, how open they are and what kind of ball movement led to that shot and who's taking that shot and where in the shot clock. You know, like we have a, we have several four men that, that we let shoot threes, right? But we don't want him coming in transition and trying to bury a three off the break. Whereas Tyler Moff, our starting point guard the other night against Duke, he just dribbled up, had plenty of room, got to the three-point line and buried it. You know, like we're okay with him taking that shot in that moment, but we're not okay with the other guy doing the same thing. So it is situational and it does matter what the personnel is. So I get this a lot. I mean, we shoot a lot of threes as well. And coaches are always asking me, how do you practice those? Are you practicing volume shooting in during your practices? Do you require guys to get up X amount of shots on their own throughout the week and track those? How do you primarily practice those? We don't require guys to get shots up. We're in the gym with them, you know, ourselves X amount of times a week. And then our guys do do a ton of shooting in practice. You know, I've, I've been with Coach Balkan for a long time, and I, I've been with what two other programs away from Coach B. But I feel like I hear about a lot of guys that don't necessarily shoot that much in practice where it's, you know, defensive base and stuff like that. Coach always goes out of his way to make sure our guys are getting shots up in practice. Now, some of that is going to be just four guys in rebounding, four guys out rebounding, six seconds on the clock, and we got the white team against the black team and losers run. And we'll do that for, you know, 10 minutes. And then you'll do what we call a drill scene passing where it's literally just being, you know, kind of thrown around the horn 
until it gets to the corner and then that guy's draining it and that goes on for 60 seconds we're trying to constantly be in competition with that stuff but we're certainly not reinventing the wheel with any of it we're just making sure that the time is allotted to get those shots now we will do transition shooting we will do stuff where our bigs are constantly rim running uh so we do have variations of the types of shots they're getting is it in transition is it when they're tired uh you know we'll try to put different shooting drills in different parts of practice depending on what segment went before that to get them shooting tired because those are obviously the shots you shoot in the game but again we're not doing anything that i don't think anybody else is doing uh, i just think that we're making sure that the time is set aside to get those shots up in practice the best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever that's why coaches love huddle assist with Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats, in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. Are there any statistical goals or maybe anything measurable that you all help guys to understand the pace that you want to play and the shots that you want to take? We don't necessarily have a number at the end of each game that we're trying to get to. Things that we track are like three stops in a row. We'll track what we call dome touch shooting, right? So a lot of guys talk about getting into the paint and driving kick threes from the paint. We'll talk more about the dome, and the dome is basically what most people would put down as the pack line. And so if we can pierce that dome and get a driving kick three out of that, what are our percentages when we pierce the dome as opposed to when we don't pierce the dome? And now we don't count, like we'll, we'll take transition out of that equation because we, we don't want the numbers to go down or be, we just don't think they're the same shot. So we don't want those to be tied together, right? But any half court shooting, we'll judge it. Okay, was the dome pierced or was it not? And it's mind blowing how much, I guess maybe not mind blowing, but it is. I'm surprised by how big a difference there is with the dome touch shooting as opposed to if you don't get a dome touch. I mean, you're talking about 15 to 20 percentage points on a given night. Wow. I've found with the stops, a lot of times if we get six or more, we win like 90-some percent of our game uh, of our games. Do you have anything like that for offense, or are you just trying to get when you, when you can? We're trying to get to seven. and If you're doing that, you're in really, really good shape. You obviously don't always reach that, but when you do, you, you tend to have a lot of success. I did want to ask you about the Duke experience the other night. Uh, probably most people saw Coach B go down with, within a couple minutes. It happens early on. You're trying to care for that and make sure that he's okay. And then all of a sudden you guys have to, like I said, you're right there at the beginning and it could have gone downhill like very quickly, but the way that the players responded and you guys responded to them, what was going, what was going through your mind? And then what did you say to the guys to kind of refocus them and, and get them going again? You know, it was, I, I've told several people, I think I experienced every possible emotion that you could experience in about yeah. a 20 minute window. Because obviously the first concern was like what's happening with Coach B, uh, especially knowing you know his history and stuff like that, and a genuine concern about is he okay. Uh, once he got off the floor and walked off on his own, it, it kind of lightened a little bit of that load. But then our guys did a phenomenal job of compartmentalizing, like okay, 
we have a job to do. Coach is one of the toughest guys that we know. We know exactly what he wants us to do. And, you know, as cliche as it is to say, like, oh, well, you know what this person would want, like, that's exactly what he wants. He wants you to go out there and, and not back down. So really all you had to do was kind of remind them of that one time and, and they were good to go. It didn't take a whole lot of, of coaxing from us or anything like that. And they did a phenomenal job. They went in there with the mindset that, that you know, they were going to give it their best shot, right? I mean, they weren't going to back down. They weren't going to be intimidated. And mm -hmm. that's an unbelievable environment. I, I mean, that's the mecca of college basketball. I, I've mm -hmm. never been a part of anything uh, quite like that, but, it was obviously a, a strange but insane experience and just so proud of the effort that our guys put forward because they put on a good show out there. Did you have that scout that night? I didn't. I didn't. That would have been a little bit nicer if I had, but I did <laughs> not. No. Uh, yeah. I got the South Carolina State one, so if that goes south, you can blame me for that. <laughs> yeah, I, as I, I, I was thinking even about talking with you about this, like I, I would guess that it never once entered your mind, I'm going to be coaching tonight in Cameron Indoor Stadium as the head guy. No, I actually told my wife, we, we typically don't bring my wife and kids on the road with us, but because it was Cameron Indoor, we did. And I have a three-year-old and a, and a nine-month-old. And the amount of sleep I got the night before was not appropriate for what I would like to be well-rested. And uh, we were joking afterwards, like, imagine, you know, I might have made some better calls if I had just gotten a decent night's sleep, but that's what happens no. when you bring a three-year-old and a one-year-old on the road. Oh, it was great. On a much lower level, I'm the one that's coming to you and playing up to up to you guys. But playing a challenging game, like you're scheduling that kind of game to give your guys an experience of playing in a you know environment like that, but also like you're trying to get something out of it as well. You're not just going in there to earn the paycheck right. and then walk right. away. What are you talking to them and communicating to them? We want to get this out of this game. Our whole thing has just been about and I think this is what most guys do, but it's just been about let's stay process oriented and not so much results oriented. Okay. So regardless of who we're playing, can we be consistent in our approach to X, Y, and Z? And if we can constantly get, uh, if we can just be getting a little better at X, Y, and Z each day, then at the end of the season, we're going to be in very good shape. Right. So our thing going in there, even though they play fairly up tempo and they guard at a really high clip, we just wanted to play our style of basketball. The last Division One opponent we had played against, we didn't play our style of basketball, and we let them dictate what we were trying to do. And so as phenomenal as Duke is, we just felt like we had to go in there and, and try to get better at what we do. So, you know, it wasn't going to be a, a thing where at the end of the day you sit there and look at the final score and say, okay, we did good or bad solely based on that. It was going to be, do we feel like we grew out of this experience tonight? And I think that mm -hmm. for the vast majority of the night, I think most of the stuff that we covered, we, we definitely grew from. I know they have multiple guys that probably are eventually going to be playing in the league, but like, how do you, I don't know if you even prepared for Paulo like this, but like preparing for one or two guys like that, what is the mindset and what is the strategy going into that? Are you, is there anything in particular or is it just you're focused on, again on what you guys do and we're going to stick to that and it, it doesn't really matter the personnel on the other side? We didn't have a ton of uh, adjustments that we made. Uh, you know, we would probably have more that we would make in conference than we would against them. You didn't have to overthink a lot, but you also know that they have guys that, that you don't have. And so our takeaway is, can we just make them make tough shots? And Bancaro had to make a bunch of tough shots, and he did it because he's going to be in the league. He's going to be the first pick in the draft in all likelihood. But, you know, unfortunately, he made him against us. And 
we got into a situation with some foul trouble where we couldn't sit back and, and play man-to-man the way we would typically want to, so we ended up playing a lot of zone. I think the Achilles heel night was really about our inability to, to finish up a play on the glass. They did a great job on the offensive glass, but you know, they got Mark Williams in there at seven feet and super athletic and long. I mean, he just kept slapping the ball back out to the top of the key. Um, and then we were trying to rebound out of the zone simply so we could play guys that wouldn't be able to play in man-to-man because of fear of foul trouble, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that com- that combination and, you know, them shooting 29 free throws to R5, none of it was uh, ideal <laughs> to try to win the basketball game. But we pretty much stuck with what we were trying to do. It wasn't overly complicated. It really was a game where we just went in here and said, hey, can we be better at what we tried to do? I mean, you guys played super hard, and you still have some really athletic guys on that team. No, I appreciate and, it. We do have a couple of guys that can that can really move. They just don't happen to be seven feet and six ten in the front court. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of sets me up for the rest, and for you guys up for the rest of the year. I do want to ask about that. I'm right down the road from Furman, and you got the SoCon. I have said for a while. This was even back when, like, Coach Forbes was at ETSU. Like, I think that the league is one of the underrated leagues, and there are a bunch of guys like yourself and head coaches at what as well that like. There are some great coaches in this league and some teams that play really well and that, that run some unique stuff. Can you speak to what you see in this conference and maybe some of the highlights and some of the things that you're projecting, you guys are projecting for this year? I think there's a little more parity top to bottom than there has been in, in years past. Um, I think you could actually argue the last two years have been like that. I think uh, if you go back three or four years ago, you were really looking at four teams that were really good and then there was everybody else. Now I think there's uh, more conversation about, okay, well, seven can beat three. And, you know, on any given night, you know, seven or six can go in there and beat one, you know, which that maybe wasn't happening uh, three or four years ago. But the thing that I've always kind of zoned in on when I talk about the Southern Conference, I think it's one of the best offensive leagues in the entire country. I'd put that up against anybody. You know, you go play some high majors, and they're really a a lot of times – just bigger than you they don't necessarily make shots better than you Uh, and I think our league top to bottom has a ton of guys who make shots a ton of guys a ton of coaches that run good stuff to get their guys shots and so when it comes to being an offensive league I think this is the best in the country I'll get you out on this one I usually ask this of my older guests the older coaches I get a lot from younger coaches and aspiring college coaches how do I get to and what do I get to and you are still a younger guy, but you've gotten to an associate's position already and doing a lot of things I know with Coach B there. But for the advice that you would give to that younger person who's wanting to be a college coach, whether it's like biggest piece of advice or like pieces of advice, what would you say to that young person? I guess I'll approach this from uh, what I would say to myself uh, if I was redoing this thing from the beginning. Go anywhere. Take any job. You're not going to make any money. <laughs> just get your foot in the door. I have a weird career path where I was at VMI. Then I left, actually went to the women's side, then chose to get out of college basketball altogether and then got back in. So I don't, I don't suggest that path to anybody, but what I ran into was uh, early on in my career, I got a little frustrated with you know, not moving up the, the chain, right? Like, like we all, you know, I think want to do it. We all get into it to coach and love the game of basketball and, for me, it was like the relationships of uh, that you have with players. But somewhere along the line, I started getting frustrated and, and wanted like, okay, well, I got to go make this. I should be doing this and comparing everything, right? And when I got back in, 
when I was lucky enough to get back in because it's really hard to do. But I mean, the guy that I played college ball for had a job, so it was open for me. But I came back in with such a greater appreciation for just loving what I do every single day. And if I work hard and something else pops open, then, you know, that's great, you know, but you just go in there and just try to be phenomenal at your job. Right. Mm -hmm. And just really value the time with the kids that you get to coach because there's so many guys from one year to the next, just you never know how long you're actually going to be in the business. So getting out of it actually gave me, it actually refocused me to what I loved about it to begin with. And I just, when you talk to other coaches, sometimes, you know, especially the guys that have been doing it for, you know, five plus, 10 plus years, they're just, I, I think you can sense that frustration, right? We all you know, think this is going to be one thing and maybe it does or doesn't end up being that. But I mean, now I'm so happy to get to work for an unbelievable human being. I get to coach some of the best human beings. Like the, our team is just insane. Like three, five GPA, biology, engineering majors, like way smarter than I ever even thought about being but they're such high level people. And this is what I get to do for work every single day. So it's really special. Uh, it really is a calling. If, you, if you're doing it for anything else besides the love of basketball, I think it's probably gonna break your heart or you're, you're gonna burn out because it does involve so much, but you know, there's, there's nothing better. That's Coach Jack Castleberry, Associate Head Coach for the Citadel Bulldogs. Coach, thanks for jumping on the podcast. Thanks, man, really appreciate you having me that'll do it for this episode thanks so much for listening we'll talk to you again at the next time out